Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, I'm with Emil Robinson and Squeak Carnwath as they discuss trust and voice in the studio and how they approach teaching painting. Emil Robinson is an assistant professor in the School of Design at the University of Cincinnati. Robinson's paintings have earned solo presentations in the U.S. and abroad. Awards include a prize from the Smithsonian. Squeak Carnwath is an artist who maintains a studio in Oakland, California. Among the awards she has received are the Lee Krasner Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018 and a Guggenheim Fellowship in 1994. She is a professor emerita from UC Berkeley. Welcome. So you sent me an image of, an, of a new painting of yours? Yeah. Um, and is that your new direction or have you always been that direction? It looked it, different to me, like you're combining um, image, uh, different ways of approaching imagery. Yeah. Well, I started, you know, initially as a figurative artist and uh -huh. really, really got away from that kind of got it trying to understand how pictures fit together. So I sort of went abstract for quite a while, mm -hmm. but I was always itching to try to get more into the painting. So now, now I'm putting things back into them, but I'm trying to be really purposeful about exactly what those things are and, and how they work in the painting. Yeah. You know, like some of the, some of the images that go in are, are almost like, like a document it's like a uh -huh. photo from media or something or something I see or someone who inspires me but not necessarily someone I know and then other images are like totally different they might be totally intuitive kind of kind of like a stream of consciousness image you know so I'm trying to mix them up I'm trying to keep the conversation sort of I sort think of you should. it's yeah. it's not my business but I think you should I think you should combine the sort of surrealistic abstraction with things that are more grounded like that portrait that's in there is that a self-portrait yeah. no that's no. that yeah. i wish i looked like that that's the the really famous basketball player lebron james oh okay all right good yeah <laughs> um, in any case uh yeah combine it with stuff like that yeah and i think you should paint two different ways like you did in that one um uh yeah i do that's yeah. funny on that. I thought that was a good move. Anyhow. Oh, cool. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we talked for a second yesterday in preparation for this, and mm -hmm. I have looked at your work off and on for years. I saw it first actually ties into CAA because when I was finishing grad school, I went to a CAA conference in Boston and, mm -hmm. and I went to Nielsen gallery. Oh yeah. And they had a yeah. show. Exactly. So I met, I met John Baker, who ran that gallery. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know Nina, but I knew John, and uh, and I saw your work there. That was my first introduction to. Is probably, I don't know how long ago, like twelve years ago. Yeah, probably about that long ago. Yeah, that's great. That was that was a beautiful show. They did a great job on it. Looked really good there, and then they closed. So uh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It, I knew some other artists that worked with them. I, I, you know, Anne Harris. Yes, yes. Yep. You know, she showed there as well. And um, I like her. I, yeah. yeah, she's a she's a smart and, and uh, strong artist. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for you, you've always combined different kinds of things in your paintings. You've always been uh -huh. brave that way. The paintings feel like they they kind of build up and, until 
until you figure them out. Yeah. So. I think you have to be careful with some of that surrealist stuff. That's all. And, and, um, and I just think that we can put anything in paintings. That's why I do that. And I want to put things in that I care about. So it's, uh, or invent symbols for things. Yeah. I know what they are. Like they're kind of nicknames of things for me. Um, oh, that's nice. They may be, um, they may be something everybody understands or they may not. It doesn't matter whether they do or not. I just want them to be direct enough so that they can see what they are and yeah, have them be kind of direct so it's not too, so that they at least understand the thing. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, that's, I guess the best way to put it. I don't know. Well, yeah. I like, I like that idea. I like that term nickname. I feel like that's a good, that's a good title for a show nickname. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's about right because it's almost like you don't want to name it exactly, but you want to name it even right. better. You just yeah. want to make it so people really know it. Yeah. I get that. They That's may wonderful. not be able to say it, name it either. You know, it might right. have 12 names or something. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so when you have taught and you had a long career mm -hmm. working working in academia, you were, as I understand, you were at UC Berkeley for quite some time. For 10, uh, for about 12 years. Before that, I was at UC Davis. I had, okay. tenure, I had tenure at Davis, and then I went to Berkeley because Davis changed, and the people that I went there uh, to, who were my colleagues in the beginning, like Bob Arneson and um, oh, wow. Daniel and um, Wayne Tebow and um, uh, Roland Peterson. Um, wow. Th those people had retired and left. And um, so it wasn't as fun. And I was going to quit. And people at Berkeley said, well, why don't you come teach with us? So I went to Berkeley and um, uh, I was a professor in residence, which is only for previously tenured professors, but it's not tenured. And, um, and then they decided to give me tenure, I think after a few years after I was there. And, uh, yeah. So, wow. you know, yeah, it's because you can't, they don't want you to poach people from one UC, one university of California to another. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's such a, a rich tradition at those schools and it yeah. sounds like the list of colleagues that you worked with is amazing. I'm curious when you talk about painting and anything can go into a painting, it's mm -hmm. like that kind of a, a comment is totally true. But then the other end of it is like, but only this can go into this painting, you know, or something like that. Right. Is that the other end mm -hmm. of it? I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. is. Um, yeah. hmm. Uh, no, because I might put it, I might put the same thing into about 10 paintings or <laughs> two true. paintings or, yeah, of course, of course. I'm very repetitive. So I, yeah. I, um, I put, I move things around into different paintings because I can't visualize what they're going to look like in advance. I have to make them to see what they turn out to, to be. Do they, do they mean something different in different paintings? Uh, they might, or they might just be like a whole, uh, I don't know, like a whole story or a whole novel where it jumps from chapter to chapter, but it's all related. 
Oh, I see that pretty clearly in your work. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm yeah. always thinking about when I have sometimes uh, something will come into my mind for a painting and it will be, mm-hmm. it'll be like an idea like, Oh, what about this kind of a world and a painting? And other times it's something I notice. It's like, Oh, I noticed this because I started as more of a perceptual kind of painter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. Look at this color, this light or this circumstance. It reminds me, it gives off like a, a smell, mm-hmm. like a nickname, like you said, of something yeah. else. And, um, paintings can start both those ways but sometimes I think of the same image two really different ways like I'll think of an image and like that image is the environment of this painting and in another painting I'll think this image is a tiny footnote in the environment of this painting I don't know um, I don't think like that (laughs) yeah yeah good I you know I don't want too much company in the way (laughs) Um, to me that would be too uh, that would be so I think of uh, artists as working in a mine and there's a lapis lazuli line in the mine or vein and there's yeah. a gold vein and a silver vein and there might be a mica vein. Anyhow, and that um, that you work in these veins uh, your whole life and that those veins, if you put put all the paintings that were done in the lapis vein or the or the gold vein, they would make up one kind of a, um, not really a story, but they'd be very, uh, one kind of maybe a family. They'd be very related. But yeah, they'd be yeah. different at the same time. And um, so when you mention those two things, those two things to me are like two different veins in my mind. Yeah. yeah. That's how I think of it. So they would be, so sometimes I'll be, I mean, I'll be using the same, during a period of time, I'll be using some images that I repeat within that um, period of making a group of paintings, but they may also, some of them may relate to things that weren't done at that time because they're part of the lapis line or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You're making me want to actually paint gemstones now. That's like such a rich metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I uh, I'm curious when when you worked with students how do you get a student you know the way you've been describing your work and and your thought process it's like you uh, it's like you build a a way of thinking about that allows you to be most free and and focused at the same time how do you how do you Uh help students how do you help students to to have a rich interior monologue like that. Is that something that was part of your teaching or? I would like to think that I could do that, but I'm not sure I could. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, like that's, I would try to, I would see things in their paintings and try to get them to go down that, that road with them or that, or follow uh, whatever thread they were um, onto and um, to try to make it, to develop that instead of jumping around too much. Um, And when I had beginning painters, I had them do projects that um, pretty much ended up relating to each other on some level, but they were all painted different, um, like, you know, painting like uh, Matisse where you rub it down and, or, Uh, Watteau where there's little flecks of color and stuff 
So I would try. So I try to have them do things that look that use painting techniques of um, of artists, other artists, and um, but have the subject matter be all related. And so was the was the goal of that because I've done similar things, but I <laughs> but it feels in certain ways teaching painting is such a oh. such a difficult thing. I mean, it's just like yeah, it's really, really they're self taught. They really yeah. Are. It's yeah. Not, and we can only guide and, um, you know, show them techniques or whatever, how to do things. But, uh -huh. but if they don't practice, 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 they won't learn and um, they won't become painters and they won't figure things out. Like in my paintings, I have this pencil line that um, kids want to know how I did. And I don't tell them. I don't I don't show them how <laughs> to do that uh, because. <laughs> I feel like I invented it by looking at these other artists. So I encourage them to go look at something and try to figure out what they, what they think that other artist did with the paint to get that effect. And um, then, then it's theirs to claim. It's not, they're not doing my line. They're not doing somebody else's. They're not doing somebody else's work. They're doing something, you know, a recipe or they cooked up something that's, that's, it's theirs. That's their way of doing it. And um, so, but I, but I give them broad. I like to give them. Um, well, I like to teach them like broad things of you know mixing colors and things like that. Like things they need to know that every you know that are that aren't like stylistic. And, right. Um, I think that's really important. I, I mean, yeah. I, find I don't one even of the show things. my work. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Not until Why? the end. I don't want a lot of, I don't, uh, there's, I don't want people to do what I do. I mean, of students. Yeah. I, I just don't think that's a good teaching method. Although there yeah. are, you know, plenty of people who do it and have been doing it for years and centuries and people learn how to paint that way. But then, you know, they're going to have a crisis. So they have a whole bunch of, you know, I don't know, uh, Rembrandts. What are they going to do? That's, that's already, that's a territory that's already carved out. So they have to, right. you know, you wouldn't want them to finish school and have a crisis of faith and because they don't have original um, sort of style and method of working. So yeah. I like to, I like to teach them, um, tr you know, as many traditional ways of painting as I can or handling the material so wow. that they have enough tools to do whatever they want to do and then bring it to the, bring it up to the moment, like somehow have it, um, use it in a contemporary way. It's interesting. I, um, I share those goals a lot. I come at mm -hmm. it slightly, slightly differently with beginning students and I make sure that their required materials are of high quality. And I talk mm -hmm. to them about the materials, but then, mm -hmm. um, I, I actually err on the side of just having them learn to appreciate and see the incredible richness that's already around them and things. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't have them, I don't teach them methods and techniques the way you were describing as oh, much. Yeah, right no, I do. yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. nobody taught me. So I right. figure I should, um, I did learn and, yeah. and I figure I should teach them so that they have those tools. Yeah. I, I, you know, I speak to them in a way that is, that isn't dumbed down. I certainly, I give them all the terminology and things, but I was taught those techniques and it's, oh, yeah. me. but I'm really interested 
in what this, how the students solve problems with the materials. So mm -hmm. I, I try to get them more curious, more passionate mm -hmm. about seeing in general. And I give yes. them projects then that are driven by, um, like you said, subject matter approached in different ways, but I'm interested to see how they solve problems. So we'll do really, really basic color and mm -hmm. uh, kind of experiments from observation just to see exactly how nuanced and incredible things can be with the material. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And do you limit their paint? See, I don't let them bring acrylics. They're only, they only can paint in oils in my classes. Well, <laughs> that's how that's how I always did it, have done it. I'm not teaching painting this semester, but that's how I've always yeah. done it. And that's really because that's my wheelhouse painting wise. But it's also because I think those materials have the most historical richness. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. And, and I think that they also have the most um, transformative capability as as physical yeah. substances. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And yeah. also, if they can mix colors in oil, they can mix them in anything. Oh, no doubt. You yeah. know, also, these days I've been working in acrylic some, which is totally mm -hmm. new for me. But mm -hmm. it was because some of the goals with what I was doing in the paintings changed, and I needed mm -hmm. to be able to see certain kinds of things more rapidly as I mm -hmm. was coming up. With them. And, um, mm -hmm. It just worked for me, you know. So now I now I do both. I kind of yeah. mix it up, but uh, but I teach in oils also for sure. Do you work in, Do you work on one painting at a time? You know, it's a it's funny. Yes and no. So I'm in my mm -hmm. studio right now, and I've got I've got like I'm looking over on the right here. I have a uh, a collage with um, acrylic paint and a little oil on pieces of mat board and then i have mm -hmm. under under it a an abstraction that's um mostly i think it's all acrylic um and these are in, in process but any given day i generally only work on one one piece uh, yeah. i would say mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and I, I think it's i think it's because i have a different headspace than you do for how i think about it you said you know i'll take this thing and move it from one painting to another or mm -hmm. and I think, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that way too but maybe it's just because I'm not as experienced as you but I have to I have to focus so hard just to be in the mm -hmm. right kind of intense place where I can make the best decisions that I kind of stay in one piece one mm -hmm. painting <laughs> physically in one piece too <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know that's that's kind of how I how I like to work mm -hmm. Yeah, I concentrate, but um, it's different. Yeah. yeah, I used to be able to talk on the phone and paint, and I can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, do you think like, as soon as I pick up the brush, I'm like right there painting, whether I move from one to the other or not? Yeah, I know. I do the same thing. It's and I think that idea of how your your physical body relates to the actions and uh, the way your brain works. So like. Mm -hmm. Because they've done so much painting, as soon as the brush is in your hand, the wires in your brain that are in painting mode turn on, they light up. And then yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. the conversation is totally screwed, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know that that feeling too. Do you do you listen to podcasts and things when you paint or? Um, I listen to. Um, well, r- lately I've been listening to a lot of TV. You know, a cable news. The more, <laughs> oh, the, the more critical of Trump, the better. Um, and <laughs> and then I listen to NPR, and yeah. I listen to books on tape. And then I also watch dumb TV or, or I mean, I have it on, or movies that uh, don't require looking at. They're, they're kind of, you know, like they're maybe not that great of a movie, but it's, uh, I can recognize the voices as I'm painting. So I can, I can, it's a story that sort of keeps me in there, but, but I don't have to watch it. You know? is, that, is that like Harry Potter or something? No, it wouldn't be Harry Potter. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might be, you know, some, it might be one of these serials on Netflix, like uh, *Handmaidens*, *Handmaid's Tale*. Oh, that's um, intense stuff. That's really good quality. I know that is, and you do really have to stop and watch it sometimes. But um, some of it's like that, like uh, whatever's on cable that I'm into, because some yeah. of it I don't have to be looking at the entire time. I know so, it's terrible. The the filmmakers are gonna hate me for saying that but that's just hey you know everyone everyone needs a critique from time to time right (laughs) (laughs) what uh you know what you uh what you said about working in the studio and then having the tv on Mm -hmm. it's interesting how you can still concentrate on a painting and have this other thing it almost kind of helps you it's like a foil for me it's part of my stimulus so you know, things that I hear on NPR or different news things, you know, I sometimes do podcasts, but not much. Um, yeah. I, I'm just not, I, I should, because there's a lot of information that I like that's on podcasts. So some, it does feed into the work because I have a lot of scribbles that are about stuff I hear on the radio or hear on TV. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that might, that might happen in real time. Yes. Uh-huh. And I keep pieces of paper next to every painting that I'm working on. And um, those are my drawings, but they're really just notes for like, if I want to, I have to wait for a color to dry overnight. So then I write down what color I want to, co- you know, cover over it. Um, do I want to scratch into it? Or is there something I want to write on it that I don't want to write now, you know, at the moment? Um, there's a lot of back and forth like that. And those are my crazy papers. I call them the crazy papers. I'm actually trying to make, well, I don't, I was making some paintings that relate to the crazy papers. They're sort of more black and white and stuff. So, but yeah, um, they're, they're sort of the paintings diary. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you let that bleed into the painting too. So it's a, right. I keep, those are part of my archives. I keep the crazy papers and um, the paintings can go out. But yeah, they're they're sort of a record of how I work. I I completely relate to that idea because I, more and more, I think, especially in today's age, like a, a painting can really transform. It kind of is transforming with, as we're able to access all kinds of information all the time, the painting it really transforms, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, um, 
I really feel this desire to have that kind of a relationship to the surface of the painting, a relationship that is both kind of premeditated and then also mm-hmm. is is recording a painting's always like a record, you know, of, of a relationship. But I think it's very seldom that paintings are records in the literal way. You know, sometimes I put things in the paintings and take them out. And sometimes I, before I take it out, I might uh, write it in on the piece of, you know, the piece of paper I keep next to the painting, or it's sometimes it's on the paper and it's going to go into the painting. Sometimes it never goes into the painting. And I never plan out any paintings. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I like it that way. I like to be, um, it's like more fun for me and um, to not know and be worried about it and disappointed and then happy because it works out. Or when I, I, when I started painting, I just, I might start with a laundry list or, uh, you know, grocery list or something. And then, start putting things in. I might just cover it with um, cleaning my brushes. I'll do anything. The spirit of what you're describing, I really relate to, but I think I have a, a very different personality. You know, for me, mm-hmm. the the painting, I think, is a lot, even the most sort of brightly colored or kind of literally loud paintings that I might mm-hmm. make, they, they still are sort of, uh, they're not as talkative, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of how they are. And what's interesting is you were saying yesterday when we were talking that that you are naturally a fairly introverted and and, uh, you know, you get a lot of a lot of power from your your solitary time in the studio. Yeah. And I have a little bit of a different and you talked about how with teaching you had to kind of learn to feel good in that setting, which mm-hmm. I, I've heard that from other people, too. For me. Mm-hmm. It's my personality is slightly on the side of extroversion mm-hmm. with, you know, I'm not like really extroverted, but mm-hmm. when I'm in the studio, I think that's when things are like more, the paintings kind of literally express a certain reserve, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about that? Do you think it should, or should it be express your natural tendencies more. I think it, I think it is my natural tendency. I think it's like, a, um, it's not so quiet that I'm, I'm not like making a, uh, an ad Reinhardt, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of reductive experience. It's, um, Some people might say that those shout. Yeah, that's true. People who have been very offended by ad Reinhardt's painting and have attacked them with knives and other things. Well, listen, I love <laughs> Reinhardt's paintings. There was a show this yeah. past year at Zwerner that my friend Eleanor Ray wrote about in the Brooklyn Rail, and it was that mm-hmm. show of blue paintings. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, holy cow. I mean, just just a no, symphony. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But, um, you know, but that's a sensibility, and um, I, I really respect it. But no, I feel comfortable in, in how my how my paints communicate. I think they they have a range, but I think I'm always um, I have a I don't know. I have something I keep close to the chest. It's like it comes out in a in a way that's that's sort of um, it's like whispered sometimes, you know, that's OK. Well, it's either whispered or 
close to the chest, meaning you're holding it in. I don't know. I mean, you know. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You know. You should not hold anything in. <laughs> <laughs> I try. It's hard, Squeak. Sometimes you gotta, you I have know. to hold it in. And there's, you know, there's a whole, uh, I think there's a whole aesthetic to that that's, that can be interesting. I was, mm -hmm. I come from a, a conservative Catholic upbringing that was also, mm -hmm. also really involved in the arts at the same time. Wow. Really interesting. And so mm -hmm. I had these two things constantly and um, I really celebrate that, that paradox, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm a fairly liberal progressive person myself now as an adult, but I'm interested in that tension. You know, it reminds me of certain writers that I really love people mm -hmm. uh, like Sherwood Anderson and a little bit of Flannery O'Connor. There's like a oh, certain, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a certain feeling there that I, I think is interesting. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't like to always say so much because it, it, you know, I like the tension of sort of not quite getting enough or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. huh. That happens anyhow, probably, you know, with any with any painting. It's true. I, I always have that experience. And uh, and I try to cultivate it in students, too, where you have to have incredible self-doubt, but also incredible self-confidence kind of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. And uh, many times I feel really sort of baffled but excited when I think I finished a painting mm -hmm. but many times my view of that painting changes pretty significantly over the next year or two and sometimes in the positive and sometimes in the negative you know how do you determine whether a painting's finished um I don't think there's an easy answer for that I think it's like uh I don't know. It's like measuring something that can't quite be measured, but you still just commit anyway. You say, this is where I'd like to stop. I think I've, oh, I think see, I've, I, don't, I don't have that. Um, so when the painting doesn't call me anymore, when it, when there's nothing more I want to do to it, absolutely nothing, then it's done. And, uh, and on a few occasions, there've been a few paintings where I get to a certain point and I just don't want to mess with it, but I don't think it's done but it might go two years and then it's done. That's rare. Most of the time I work on them until they, you know, tell me to sort of stop. They sort of, they don't have an itch anymore. So um, there's nothing I would change in it. Now, you know, that may be wrong, but that's just, for me, that's what happens. Yeah. Other people might disagree and wish I'd worked on it more, but that's. Right. Right. Yeah. But that, you know, it's, it's up to you, Squeak. I, yeah, I, exactly. Uh, I'm the boss. That's right. <laughs> I struggle sometimes with when things are finished, and I'm very interested in the process of how the painting is made. And I actually, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm someone who can be uh, way too much in my own head with most mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And I have found that if I have certain goals for what I'm doing. Like if I set out a certain process, generally, if I fulfill the process, it's a terrible painting. However, if, if I set out a process and stop short, if I, if I'm just like kind of building up to what I think the painting should be in the building, somehow something magic will happen occasionally. Do you ever um, see, I, I like to go dumb, totally dumb. And, um, 
not intellectualize what's happening with the pain. Then I like to pull back and I, then I like to analyze and go, well, does it do this? Does it do that? And yeah. uh, there's back and forth between just really kind of, I call it dumb and I don't mean it in a pejorative like brain way. I mean it in a way that is uh, kind of, um, if you look up dumb in the, in the dictionary, there's this kind of, there's this definition that's sort of, uh, God, I wish I had it here. Um, that you just go forward with something with, oh, that's nice. you know, and it's, uh, and I think of it as an acceptance of going forward. Like you're walking down into a cave and you're just willing to keep going and, um, and see where it goes and then pull back and, you know, make a map maybe, or decide, you know, have you gone far enough? Do you want to live there? Do you want to turn right or turn left or all that kind of stuff? So that's how uh, I, yeah, that's more or less pretty much how I work like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I go back and forth because I do have a inclination towards analyzing the, the way something comes to be or how it creates mm-hmm. meaning. It's just natural to me. While you're doing it. Well, that's the question. Generally, those things are are at different times. So that will yeah. happen sort of obsessively when I'm at home. Uh-huh. And then when I'm in the studio, I I just kind of make the paintings and I trust them. Mm-hmm. And there's a, and there's a lot of play yeah. and and kind of um, fun. And usually to really make the paintings work. I just have to arrange things in the painting in a way that seems right to me, you know, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sort of has a, has a clear kind of voice to it. So I, I agree with you. I, I try yeah. to turn my analyzing head off and, and proceed with, um, with the clarity and purpose and uh, a little bit of a lack of, of um intense analyzing Mm -hmm. so i I totally agree with you but i but when i'm not in the studio i'm always thinking that i've come up with ideas for the best painting you know Hmm. and do you write (laughs) down or make notes or little sketches of them or anything yeah i do um i'm always writing about my paintings in one way or another. I've never been good at the kind of traditional sketchbook method. I'm much more intuitive with the surfaces that I write on, which I'm trying to pay more, trying to pay more attention to that being a part of how I make work. So yeah, that's a clue. You should use that. Exactly. So it's like, Oh, I, um, you know, I can express myself a certain way writing on this napkin or, Uh um, during dinner or, you know, hopefully not too much. My wife's an artist too. So it's <laughs> Is she a painter. Oh, squeak. She's an amazing artist. She's a, she's a sculptor performance artist. She makes oh, yeah. paintings also. Um, she's an incredible artist. And she was talking to me the other day, actually, we were talking about work and um, she said, you know, I really, I really think that the pieces of work, are they're not really objects they're more kind of embodiments you know mm-hmm. they're there's something that takes on the characteristics of some sort of personal experience it embodies mm-hmm. them yeah and that's i think that's spot on yeah i agree mm-hmm. yeah i thought that was it a good to, it has to come into being and if it doesn't it's dead exactly exactly mm-hmm. 
And I agree with you. Sometimes the way you think it needs to come into being is perhaps not as important as just following and trusting when you're in that space of the studio. And well, yeah, one of the, I, I, I mean, I think um, making art is all about learning to trust. Totally. That's one of its whole purposes. And, um, and that we have to trust and we have to be pay attention so that we can trust um, and not get sidetracked with uh, the voices in our head and all the things people taught us and the things our parents told us we couldn't do and that's right what we should do and all that stuff and um, and the closer we get to that the more of a full self we are and I and I also think art making is all about creating a self mm. so it's uh, psychic or otherwise but it's um, it's a great way to sort of become. Uh, who you really are meant to be. Yeah. And I think that this is in our day and age, a um, uh, can be a situation that can be pretty psychologically intense because an artist, you know, if we go back in time, certainly with painting, paintings were connected to people who were commissioning them with certain stories to tell with certain mm -hmm ideas about who was going to look at those stories and why. Mm -hmm. um, and there was money attached to that, that made the artist survive. And there were trades that were built around it and mm -hmm. all of that sort of thing. And now it's, um, it's a little different than that. I, I don't feel disheartened by our current, current situation as it pertains to painting. I, I really, mm -hmm. I just think there's a, there's a lot, there are a lot of choices for young artists starting. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think that that can be difficult as it pertains to what you're teaching. And that's why I like what you said about if, if you're going to be teaching painting um, mm -hmm. that you can't dismiss the materials and processes that, uh, that history has built. So those become the, the platform, you know, that's what ties someone's work back in time. You know, mm -hmm. I don't really believe in this idea that it's important to completely break free of tradition. I think it's important to a conversation with history. That's part mm -hmm. of being a, an engaged artist. I think, I mean, does that sound good well, to you? Every, you know, every painting is related to every other painting. So whether it's done traditionally or not, they right. still, they're still related. You know, there it's a, long line of paintings <laughs> and done lots of different ways and stuff. Yeah. It's, I like that we have the choices. I, I think it's um, means we can sort of say, uh, you know, we have more freedom to say what we want to say, but that's, you know, that's yeah. how I feel about it. Yeah. 